Okay, so it's been a while. It's been, man, it's been quite a while, hasn't it? So, what, four or five weeks at least? Since, uh, since, we've, uh, since we've been in Exodus. So, uh, we finished chapter 28 the last time we were together. You remember what was going on? The garments. Look at Susan go. Check you out. What garments? Oh. Okay. We kind of took apart the priestly garments and all of that as far as the meaning of them and what they pointed to and, and all of that. And um, as we were doing that, um, where is Moses? Like, where is Moses receiving all this? He's on the mountain. That's right. He's in the presence of God. He's been there for quite some time. Not in reality, but in our reading, he's been there in quite some time. And what has God been telling Moses? I mean, we know last time he told him how to make the priestly garments. Uh, but what, what's the, what has God been telling him this whole time? That he's been in the presence of the Lord. People are down at the bottom of Mount Sinai. God has been telling him to do and how to do what? Build the tabernacle. Build all the furniture that goes in the tabernacle. We've been describing the pieces of furniture. We've been describing the tabernacle itself, the curtains, the all of the things. He's receiving instructions on making the tabernacle. And, of course, last time in Exodus 28, it was the robes for the priests. And all this is preparation because why? Why do, why do they need a tabernacle and a priest and an altar and a lampstand and all those things? Because God's going to dwell with them. God's going to come down and he is holy and you cannot, no one can, uh, uh, no one can dwell in the presence of the Lord with sin. So sin has to be dealt with and the tabernacle and all the furnishings and all those things is, it's a whole lot going on in here right now. That guy sounds smart. You need to listen to him. So somebody found out that you can look on the live stream on your phone and you can see the text. <laughs> right, so the problem is God is holy and he has promised to dwell with his people, but his people are not holy. So the tabernacle and all the stuff that goes with it are intended really in its most basic sense. It's really oversimplified, but in its most basic sense, to protect the people so that they may be able to dwell in the presence of God, so that God can come among them, dwell among them, travel with them as they're on their way to the promised land. So the sacrifices, the altar, lampstand, the veil, all of it is to allow God to be the holy God that he is. I mean, that's not a good way to put it, to, to let the incredibly holy, unchangeable God dwell among these people who are not holy and who are sinful without them being destroyed. So in chapter 28, God told Moses on the mountain how to make these sacred garments for the high priests and the robes for the other priests. And he's introducing him to the priesthood and what the priesthood is going to do in the tabernacle and how they're going to function. And as we come to chapter 29, Moses is receiving instructions on ordaining or consecrating the high priest and the other priests who are to serve in the tabernacle. So what we're going to read, I'm going to try to get through the whole chapter. So um, what we're going, uh, it's not that big a deal. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Um, yeah, so these are instructions. 
Oh, you, don't, don't doubt me. I can do it. <laughs> these are, in, remember, these are instructions from God to Moses. The actual ordaining of the high priest doesn't happen until Leviticus 8. So this is, not the, this is not the event itself. This is God telling Moses how to do the event. Okay? Y'all with me? So if you go reading your Bible straight through, you'll come to Leviticus and you'll say, well, this is the same thing that we read. No, this, that's where it takes place. This is God on the mountain telling Moses what needs to happen. Y'all with me? Yeah. Okay. So if Aaron and his sons are to be God's priests, which he has chosen them to be his priests, um, they must be consecrated. They must be ordained. What does it mean to be consecrated first? What does consecrate mean? Set apart. Set apart to be made holy. To be, in some, some translations will translate it, sanctified. Uh, to, made hold, to, be, to, to be made holy. Now remember that the priests, we saw last week when we talked about the robes and the turban and all the things that they wear, especially the high priest, their job is very important and it's very dangerous because they represent the people of Israel in the presence of God. They were God's chosen mediators between God and man until the perfect mediator, the perfect high priest, would come. And that perfect high priest is Jesus Christ. So in, in, it's, not an, it's not an overstatement to say that the spiritual welfare of the whole nation depended upon specifically the high priest, but all of the priests, the high priest's ability to enter into God's presence and be accepted with prayer, with sacrifice for the people. He was their mediator. The role of the priest in the tabernacle was, was incredibly important for the people, which is why there is 40-something verses here about how they must be consecrated. And at the end, we'll talk about what their duties are uh, and, and all of that. They were given the most sacred duty in all of Israel. Uh, the word ordain, which is going to be used in this chapter, it literally means to fill the hand. So it was setting them apart for a task, for a job. They were, their hands were being filled, figuratively, figuratively speaking, for this task. That's what it means to set them apart and ordain them. But two things need to happen before they could be ready for this work, before they could be consecrated, before they could be ordained. Two things needed to happen. What do you think those two things might be? I know it's just a guess because I haven't told you anything yet. We ain't even read the text yet. But. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, but why? Why is a sacrifice needed? Sin needs to be removed and righteousness needs to be imparted to them. I want you to remember that because it's not enough, even today as we, you know, we're in Christ, it's not enough for our sins just to be forgiven and we stand before God as a blank slate. No, we have to have righteousness. We need to be righteous before God. It's not good enough to just not do anything bad. You have to have done all the good. And that's what Christ imparts to us. He washes away our sin. He forgives us of our sin. But he also imputes to us his righteousness. So we're clothed in his righteousness. So those two things need to happen. And that's what this ceremony shows. So as I said, I'm going to try to get through the whole chapter. So I'm going to read big chunks at a time. And I'm going to make a few comments as we go. If you have any questions, just stop me and we will discuss those questions. Um, I don't know that I'm going to have good answers for every question that you might have about this because there's a lot in here and there's a lot that, you know, quite frankly, I don't really understand. Um, but at least we can talk about it. Okay? You ready? All right. I have a question for you. You got a question right now? I ain't even read nothing yet. Well, I know, but I'm going to 
you're going to read it, but it talks okay. about making what, uh, using wheat flour and without yeast and make bread. So why did, I understand the blood sacrifices, but why the food? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. All, that's the thing is, I said it a lot this week about the sacrifices, and there's just so much, and so much of it is guessing, and I, I didn't really have any, um, any primary source documents about other than you know what the Canaanites did or what the Hittites did. Um, at the macro level, I can tell you that the, the food offerings in general were a sacrifice to God, a gift of God, symbolism of, of fellowship meal with God. And they're going to eat, the priests are going to eat uh, in the presence of God at the door of the tabernacle in this. So it, it could be that. I'm sure uh, in, in an overall biblical context, you see over and over again that yeast is, is kind of associated with sin. Uh, you need to remove the yeast from your house. And Paul uses it to say, you know, remove the yeast because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. So there's that symbolism. But other than, other than just giving you a few speculations, there's not much I can just nail down and say this is why. Well, there's numerous, numerous other instances where bread was used. Yes, show bread and, and all that. Absolutely. The wave offering. The wave offering. Uh -huh. a lot, some of that was meat too as well. So let's at least read it, and then we can talk about what we read before. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Verses 1 through 3, if you're following along with me, is just really basically introduction. God tells Moses, these are the things I want you to gather up. So it says, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me uh, as priests. Remember, he just got done talking about the priestly robes. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. It's pretty straightforward through the, through the chapter as we walk through the text. We're going to see what all this is used for, uh, but he's just telling them, bring all this stuff, and then I'm going to tell you what to do with it. But the first thing that happens, the next thing in verses 4 through 6, is the priests have to be washed, and they have to be clothed. It says, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of, of the ephod and the, ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. What's the holy crown? You remember what it said last, in the last chapter? I know it's been four weeks. It's the little plate that said what? Holy to the Lord. Yep, holy to the Lord. Okay, so the washing of, of Aaron as the high priest and the priest, it, of course, easy to see, it symbolized their purification. He's purifying them. The priest could not go into the tabernacle and offer sacrifices unless they were dressed as God commanded. Remember last time, I know it's been a while, but last time in, in 28, he says they're not to go into the tabernacle unless they're dressed in this way, in these robes, in these, lest they die. So he, they have to go in in these robes. And these robes were called holy garments in the last chapter. They can't be put on these men until they've been washed. 
In the next chapter, God is going to tell Moses about the construction of what's called the bronze laver. You probably heard of that before. It, it sits between the altar and the tabernacle, and it was basically just a basin filled with water, and that's where all the washings took place. So the, the priests were to be washed, ceremonially cleansing themselves to prepare for the task that the Lord was assigning them. And after they were washed, then the garments would be put on them. And we talked about all the garments last time in, in Exodus 28. They were clothed with the holy garments showing that not only must their dirt be washed away, if you want to put it that way, their uncleanness be washed away, but they must put on holiness. They must put on the holiness of God. They must be clothed in righteousness to enter into the presence of the Lord. And it's the same way today. Like I said, it's not enough for sin to be forgiven. We must have a perfect righteousness. And the only way we have that is through Jesus Christ. He clothes us in his righteousness. In Galatians, not too many weeks ago, he says, All of you who are in Christ have put on Christ. Okay? And to further show the fact that they must be covered in God's righteousness, they were to be anointed. So in 7 through 9, it says this, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head, talking about the high priest, Aaron, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with the sashes, bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his son. Why were people anointed with oil in the Old Testament? It does represent the Holy Spirit. And we, we see in the New Testament where Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. We see where believers are anointed because we're in Jesus. And through the Old Testament, you see that anointing with oil in, in this way. And it wasn't just, you know, put some oil on your finger and rub it. It was pour it over their head. You know, so in, in Psalm 133, I think it said it's, it's as beautiful as the oil that runs down Aaron's turban into his beard. So it was poured over his head. So anointing with oil was an act that set men apart for public office, for public service. You see it in the kings being anointed, David being anointed, Saul being anointed. The prophets were being, being anointed. Priests were anointed. Um, it was only in this instance, it was only the high priest who was anointed with oil in this way. You can uh, see that in Leviticus 21.10 where they talk about Aaron was the one that had the oil put on his head uh, in a, as opposed to all of his sons. Um, but all the other priests were also clothed, ordained, and they're going to be anointed here in a minute where the anointing oil and the blood is going to be sprinkled upon them. So what you see so far in this passage is... The priests have been brought forward. God's chosen Aaron and his sons have been brought forward. They have been washed. They have been clothed in the holy garments that God has ordained for them. And they have been anointed ceremonially with the, the oil, which we know biblically represents the Holy Spirit. So, so far, so good, right? So the, these men, Aaron and his sons, the priests, they look good. They were washed clean. Aaron smelled nice, you know, he's got the anointing oil all over him. They were all donning their ceremonial robes and their caps. Aaron's got the ephod on with the jewels. Remember we talked about the jewels that had the Israel's names upon them. And I mean, they're looking really good, but there's still a huge problem. And what is it? Yeah. They're still sinners. All these priests are still sinners. In fact, 
you know, we don't, if, if this was a movie instead of a book, you know, like we're reading chapter by chapter, but at this time, right now, at this moment, as God is speaking to Moses, Aaron is down at the bottom of the mountain building a golden calf. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so God's chosen high priest is at the base of the mountain right now creating an idol. You know, and, and later in the book of Numbers, we're going to see Aaron's going to join with Miriam and oppose Moses and try to try to usurp Moses. So, yeah, they're still sinners. The priests are now in this ceremony. They're looking good. They're looking good on the outside. Everything's where it should be. And they're all exactly the way they should look to enter into the tabernacle and begin their work. But inside, they're still defiled. Inside, they're still unholy. So even after all this washing, all this anointing, all this clothing of the priest, there's still a gap between the outward appearance of these men and their spiritual condition. And remember, we saw in Galatians, God's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be deceived. So the next thing that has to happen is sacrifices have to be offered. And we're going to look at these pretty quickly. So if you have questions, just stop us and we'll, we'll talk about them. But there are going to be three different kinds of sacrifice in this chapter. Um, and these sacrifices happen repeatedly for seven days. So we're going to talk about all the sacrifices. And then at the end of this section, he's going to say for seven days they did this repeatedly. Uh, and the first was the sin offering and it is just what it sounds like in verse 10 verse 10 through 14 he says this then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So let's take this apart piece by piece. So before Moses kills the bull... The priests gather around to lay their hands upon the bull. What's the purpose of this? Passing their sins. Yeah, well, well yeah. Absolutely. They were, they were identifying themselves with this animal. They were, she said, if you didn't hear her, she said they were passing their sins. But they were, they were imputing their sins, ceremonially, of course, to this animal who would be the sacrifice. They were identifying themselves with sacrifice. Um, I don't know any better way to put it, but just ceremonially identifying themselves that their sin would be taken by this animal. The bull would be the bearer of their sin, the sacrifice that was given in their place. So the, the bull was killed, first off, and then the blood was put on the horns of the altar. You remember the horn? We talked about the altar having the, the horn sticking out the four corners. And then the rest of the blood was poured out around the base of the altar. Now, when this event actually takes place in Leviticus 8, we're told then that the blood on the horns of the altar in Leviticus 8, it says it sanctified and consecrated the altar, making it an acceptable place of sacrifice. So not only are the priests being consecrated, but remember, God is just telling Moses how to build all this stuff, how to do these things. He's up on the mountain all by himself with God, and he's telling them. And so this, this altar's never been used yet. And so the first thing that happens is the blood of atonement is 
atoning for their sin, covering their sin, but it's also consecrating this altar, which will be used for, for decades, hundreds of years actually, as the, the means of sacrifice. All the animals will be offered on this and it will make it holy to the Lord. I have a note here saying for me to read Leviticus 8.15, but I can't put it on the screen for you. Let me just read it to you. It says, this is Leviticus 8.15. When this event, the consecrating of the priest, actually took place, it says, and Moses killed it. Moses took the blood and with his finger he put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it, for the altar. So putting the blood on the altar and pouring around the base of the altar was consecrating the altar as well as holy to the Lord and a place where sacrifice would be acceptable to the Lord. Y'all with me? This is actually in Exodus chapter 29, um, verse 14. This is the first time in the Bible that the phrase sin offering is used. And the point is that what happened to the sacrifice, what happened to the bull, is what should have happened to the sinner, to the priests themselves. As they watched this bull being slaughtered, the blood being poured out, and the certain parts of the clean parts of the bull being burnt and the unclean parts taken out to the outside of the camp, as they watched this happen, they knew that it was them who deserved to die for their sin. God was executing the death penalty for sin right here. But in His grace, God had allowed a substitute to take their place. So the choicest parts were burnt on the altar. Now to us, those aren't the choicest parts. I understand the fat and the long lobe of the liver and all that kind of stuff. I, I want the flank steak. I, you know, I want that. That's, that's the choicest part for me. But those are the juiciest, the most, you know, the choicest parts to them. And then the unclean parts were taken out and burned outside the camp. Being burned outside the camp is important because it says we have an altar that those who, the priests weren't allowed to eat from the sin offering. They were allowed to eat from the burnt offering um, or, or the peace offering, excuse me. Uh, they weren't allowed to eat from the sin offering. And it says in Hebrews that we have an altar that those who serve the tabernacle are not allowed to eat. It was Jesus who was crucified outside the camp. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach of him. So he compares Jesus to the sin offering in Hebrews. Okay, any questions? Yes? We're not told, I don't think, but how do you handle all this blood in the desert where your water is like Yeah, it, it was, I don't know. So I do know, the question she asked was, how do you handle all this blood in the desert when water's not as abundant as you would it, it stunk. There's no other way. And it was gross. And it was hot. And honestly, it, I mean, this is my speculation. So I, I, this is not in the scripture anywhere. So don't take it as gospel truth. But I tend to think that is the point. Like that it's, it's, it's awful. And it's gross. And it's terrible. And it's, and it's nasty, and it, it really showed them the cost of their sin. Because it, it, after, not only the priests here are going to do this for seven days. They're going to offer a bull and two rams every day for seven days. So just in a week, it's going to be really gross. 
Now, at the end of this, they're going to say the priests are going to offer burnt offerings morning and night. And then we're not told here, but later on, we're going to be told that the Israelites were coming with their free will offerings, with their burnt offerings, with their sin offerings, with their guilt offerings, with their peace offerings all day long, every day. So the amount of animals, the amount of blood, the amount of just gore that would be there is it would be a lot. Yeah, so there were. <laughs> so I don't think that they did stay clean. Now I don't think the the high priest. I don't think I, I'm speaking out of ignorance. So everything I say right here might be proven false with more studies. So let me just preface it with that. But I, I don't. I think the high priest only offered sacrifice on the day of atonement. But remember, all of the Levites are priests. So there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these people. And I'm not sure about the tabernacle, but I know for certain in the temple later on, there were courses of priests that you know, did their shift, if you want to say it that way. And so they would go and do their duty for however long they did it, and then they would go back home. And you can see that played out in Zechariah, in, in Luke chapter 1, where Zechariah... Uh, John the Baptist's dad, it said it was his time to go in and do the incense and all those kind of things. And so, and in, uh, I, I want to, I may be wrong about all this, but I want to say it's First Chronicles or maybe Second Chronicles. It talks about the priests and the courses of priests. And, and there were, you know, there were anywhere from, I'm just giving you numbers off the top of my head. None of this may be right, but there was anywhere like 12 to 15 to 20,000 Levites. So, you know, there were lots and lots and lots of priests. So I don't think the same five guys did sacrifices every single day over, over, over again. I think that they were, um, they were courses of priests that were, that were working. That is an assumption. So don't take that as gospel truth. Any other questions? All right, next comes the burnt offering. Uh, burnt offering starts in verse 15. He says, Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the, not the horns, but the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So the burnt offering is the most common offering in Israel. You're, that's, the, that's the most common. That's the, at the end of this section, you're going to see that the priest's duties are to offer uh, uh, an offering in the morning and every evening. It's a burnt offering that they offer every morning, every evening. And burnt offering was... Um, was an offering there was blood involved so atonement and sin was involved but the major thrust of the burnt offering was dedication to the lord it was dedicating the entirety of the animal and by extension the life to to the lord the entire ram was cut up uh, it was washed it was arranged on the altar and the whole thing was burned up there was nothing left the burnt offering um 
there is an element of cleansing of sin and sacrifice for sin because the blood was used. It was wiped on the side of the altar. But the central feature of the burnt offering was the flaying of the animal, the dissecting of the animal, the washing, and the arrangement of the pieces on the altar uh, because this animal, this, this, this offering of dedication, this sacrifice was one that was given wholly to the Lord. There was, there's going to be other sacrifices where the priests are going to take their portion or where the person offering it can, can eat of the portion of the offering that they're offering. This is a complete gift to the Lord, if you want to say it that way, a pleasing aroma, and it's called a food offering to the Lord. It's the dedication of the life to God, wholly separating oneself for God. Um, I think many, many, signify, many say that it signifies complete surrender of one's life to God. The burnt offering is, like I said, the most common uh, and it's the one that's going to happen the most over the course of the time. So you got the sin offering, you got the burnt offering. Both of those two offerings are offerings that all of the people of Israel will offer over and over and over again for themselves, for the nation, for all, you know, for all those things. But the next offering is only for the priest, and it's the offering of what some call the offering of ordination. So it says, you shall take, and I'm going somewhere with all this offering, so just stay with me. It says, you shall take, in verse 19, the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of his blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumb of their right hands and on the great toe of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the side of the altar. Then you shall take the blood of, that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his garments. With him he and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garment shall be holy with him. So this is the animal that actually consecrates and ordains them as priests for their duty. Um, the other sacrifices, like I said, are going to be repeated periodically, every day in fact. Uh, but this sacrifice was only for the priests. It was sanctifying them for their duty. It was setting them apart for their, for their duty, not just for the holiness which was required, not just to cleanse them of their sin which was also required, but this was setting them apart to be God's priests for the entirety of their life. It was consecrating, consecrating them, sanctifying them for their duties. And to show this, blood was not only, again, hands were placed on the animal, identifying themselves with the animal, but blood was put on the altar as was before, but now blood is put on the ear, the thumb, and the toe on each priest. We don't know exactly why. We don't know exactly why these body parts, and there's lots of suggestions. I have a quote from a man named John Davis I'll read to you, but does anybody have any clue as to why it might be? And your, your guess is as good as mine because all we can do is speculate. You got your ear, you got your thumb, you got your toe. That is my right toe, Jim. They would have to remember it to be obedient. Yeah. It, it was a discipline. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. A discipline. I'm still worried about that not only what well yeah and to your point huh 
blood gets burned up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they they all the sacrifice they remove some of the blood they collect some of the blood first one rub it on the horns pour it out on the base second one rub it on the sides of the altar third one rub it on the sides of the altar and ears thumb toes they're all on the right is that correct they're all on the right side but that doesn't make sense with the different body parts so i mean yeah honestly i could tell you all the suggestions, I looked at many people who said many different things, but they're all suggestions. There's Nobody can give me any sure enough, this is why, and show me from Scripture why. So, uh, yes? The Lord had His purpose for it. Oh, of like course. Like she said, you know, He don't need to explain it. Of course, of course. <laughs> and so, when she said, you know, could sin, yes, it I did. disobeyed. Yes. Yeah. So this is what John Davis, who is a commentator on Exodus, says. He says, this act, he's talking about the blood on the ears and thumbs. This act implied the complete dedication of life and ability to the service of God. Symbolically, the blood put on the right ear sanctified that organ to hear the word of God. That which was put on the right hand set the hands apart in their performance of mediatorial work. The right foot spoke of the sanctified walk of the life of the priest as an example to others. And that sounds good, but like I said, that's just some guy's explanation. So we honestly don't know. Yes? You've got uh, 20,000 Levites. These are priests, right? Yeah, I don't know how many. I just made that number up. There's thousands, but I don't know how many. Each one of them would have to go through this to be a priest? Yes, the the sons of Aaron are being done right now. This this ordination ceremony would be repeated, yes, um, for everyone who is priest, but right now this is just the sons of Aaron. Yes, yes. Okay, any other questions? And not only, Miss Barbara, the blood is not over with yet. Blood is put on the horns of the altar. Blood is put at the base of the altar. Blood is put on the side of the altar. Blood is put on these guys' ears and their thumbs. And blood is mixed with the anointing oil and is thrown all over them. Oh, shit. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe, the, maybe so. So now they smell like blood and anointing oil. Huh? Yeah, they were, they were, and we talked about that before. Like, like you don't go run to the laundromat, blood stain your clothes. It's there, you know. I mean, you might can go to a river somewhere and try to wash it out, but more than likely, it's there for good. You know, it's going to stain, and it's going to be there for good. So, blood and anointing oil was sprinkled on the clothes. So, at this point, we've got three sacrifices down. And there is, like Miss Barbara said, there's blood everywhere. There's blood all over. Hebrews 9.22 says, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we got one more offering, and then we're going to do a lot of application, and then we're going to read through the rest real quickly. Okay? Next comes the wave offering. This is the one I had the most trouble with finding out, like, I want to know what it means and why. And I had a lot of trouble finding some definite answers about this. So this is a longer section. I'm going to read 22 through 28. 
He says, you shall also take the fat from the ram, this is the ram of consecration, and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. He said, you shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons in their hand and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. And then he says, you, Moses, you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and when they're waving their pieces, you're going to wave it as this breast of this ram as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be your portion. He's saying you're going to eat of this. You can have this as your food. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron and his sons. So he says, this will be your portion. This will be the priest's portion. And then in 28, he says, this shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel for it is a con contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings, their contributions to the Lord. So what he's saying is, Basically this, you take these certain parts, you put them in Aaron's hand, you put them in the priest's hands, they're going to wave them before the Lord, uh, and then you take the breast of the ram and you wave that before the Lord, and that's your portion to eat. They're going to put theirs on the, on the burnt offering and they're going to burn it, and then he says this breast offering that you're going to eat is going to from now on be the priest portion when the people come and they bring their peace offerings this will be the portion that the priest will be allowed to keep and to eat for himself it will be his portion of the sacrifice y'all with me everybody understand everybody understand that so the wave offering the best parts of the animal were given back to god um juiciest parts the fatty parts which i don't like um I'm not certain. I am not certain why or how they waved it, whether they just waved it, you know, or, oh, no. or, or why that was done. There are some people that think they were lifted up and waved before God in lieu of their own lives being lifted up. Some people think that. Some people think that they were lifted up as honorary gifts to God in the sacrifice. Some say that it was just that they would not come before God empty-handed. Um, uh, I just, there's, there's no way for me to know. But the wave offering would from now on be released to the priest to eat. Um, it would be their portion from the sacrifices that Israel brought. So think about this now. The priests, this is the ordination ceremony, the consecrating of them. They were washed with water. They were clothed with righteous garments. They were anointed with oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, sprinkled with blood, they were purified, they were sanctified, they were anointed, they were justified through sacrifice of these animals. They were consecrated to their holy service. Now before we cover the rest of the chapter, which I'm, I'm hoping I can have time to do, we need to see first that all of this is not just neat little historical details that we get, to, we get to pick through and see what we can glean from the historical data. All of this pointed to something. What does it point to? Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer. Yeah. It points to Christ, but it also points to what Christ has done for us and what Christ has made us. 
So it's easy for us to see the sacrifices that were offered that they point to Christ, right? He is the sacrifice. He's the blood sacrifice that atones for sin once and for all. Never needs to be repeated, so it doesn't have to be done over and over again. It is the once for all sacrifice for sin. When we, you think of it this way figuratively, when we lay our hands on him, identifying ourselves with him by faith, uh, his death, his resurrection is our substitute, our payment for sin. But Jesus is not just the sacrifice for sin. He's also the high priest himself who offers the sacrifice on our behalf. He goes into the Holy of Holies on our behalf and offers the perfect sacrifice in our place. He is our mediator before, before God that we you know, as sinners can't come to God. But through Jesus, he has opened the way, given us access and our high priest, Jesus, he needed no sacrifice to atone for his own sin like these priests did. He is the perfect high priest, perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness. He needed no holy robes, no sacred garments to cover him. He himself is holy by his very nature. As Jesus is both God and man, he is the anointed one of God. Anyone know what the Greek and the Hebrew word for anointed one is? You do, you just don't know you do. The Greek word for anointed one. That's the Hebrew word for anointed one. Hebrew word for anointed one is Messiah. The Greek word for anointed one is Christ. Yes, it's pronounced Christos, Jim. Thank you. So Jesus is the anointed one. Christ and Messiah both mean anointed one. And in his sermon, in Peter's sermon, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He is the anointed high priest who offers sacrifice for us, who goes behind the veil for us, who brings us before the presence of God, not as sinners, but as righteous in Christ. And because he is our perfect anointed high priest representing us before the Father with his perfect sacrifice, we ourselves are now consecrated. We're anointed. And we, as believers in Christ, are priests unto God. See that all through the New Testament. First uh, Peter 2.9 says we're a royal priesthood because we're in Christ. Revelation 1.16 says he's made us a kingdom and priests to serve God. All right, Revelation 20, toward the end of the book, he says we're priests of God and Christ. The Baptist faith and message that we went through several years ago on Wednesday nights talks about the priesthood of all believers. You don't need Jason to go before God for you. You don't need a mediator other than Jesus Christ. You have Christ and... Yeah, praise the Lord. Jason doesn't have to go as a mediator before you. We can, we have, according to Romans 5, we have access. Each and every member of the body of Christ, in Christ, we have access to go, according to Hebrews, to go boldly before the throne of grace. We don't have to be sheepish and scared. Can you imagine the Israelites? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Look, you're, you're the priest, and let's say you're the high priest. You know your own heart, you know your own sin, you know your own stuff, and you're going to offer this animal, and once a year at Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, you're going to walk behind this veil, and you know if everything ain't just right, you're never coming out again. You're dead. I mean, can you imagine how fearful it would be 
to have to do that. I mean, that's a dangerous job. But in Christ, it says we go boldly before the throne of grace, knowing that our payment has been made, knowing that we are secure in that sacrifice and that our priest has done his perfect work. In Christ, just like these, yes? Well, you can finish your thought. No, I was, I was moving on. Uh, that's a good thing. Do they have a record of how many high priests didn't pass the grave and they had to pull them out with a chain or a rope or whatever? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, not in the Bible, but they may have, like in Jewish literature and the Talmud and some of Josephus' writings. He asked if there's a record of how many high priests actually did die in, in the Holy of Holies. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there is. It'd be interesting to read, though, for sure. Because yeah. it would be a dangerous thing. It'd be a, it's a fearful thing to enter into the presence of God outside of Christ. So also in Christ, we're, you know, just like these priests, we've been washed. Titus 3, 5 and 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't with, it wasn't with the waters of baptism or the waters of ritual washing or even anointing oil. It was the Holy Spirit that He washed us and He poured out His anointing upon us. Um, and we've been clothed in holiness. I told you that earlier. We read it in Galatians. Galatians 3.27. All of you who are in Christ, you have put on Christ. So not only does these, do these things symbolize and point forward to Jesus, the perfect high priest who is holy, who is consecrated, who is all the things, but it points to us who are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. He has made us his priest. He has anointed us. He has washed us. He has made sacrifice for us. And his blood covers us. And we are clothed in Christ. And if you look at the end of the book, it says we're going to be clothed in white robes. And those white robes, just like the priests were sprinkled in blood for them, uh -huh. our robes are washed white. How? Oh, no. Washed white in the blood of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Made white and perfect in the blood of Jesus. So all this points to the fulfillment of Christ. But it also points to what he has done for us and who we are in Christ. Um, Hebrews 9.13, let me read this to you. He says, If the blood and bulls of, bulls of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? So as we study these covenant rituals, we aren't seeing old antiquated laws and ceremonies that these, these primitive people did. We're seeing Christ. We're seeing the blood atonement. We're seeing our high priest, our mediator before God. We're seeing God pointing to his son, pointing to what was, what was to come for his people. Um, and in the next, I've got five minutes. I'm going to have to breeze through this if I'm going to get done. Or you want to just wait? You want to just wait? Yeah. Questions? Do you have any questions? Any discussion? Okay, well, I'm going to breeze through it then. Next, God tells Moses that the priesthood will be passed down 
through Aaron's family. It can't be bought. It can't be purchased. It can't be vied for or politically maneuvered to. God chooses the priest. He says, The holy garments of Aaron shall be, verse 29, Holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. So this, this ceremony is going to be repeated every time. New priest. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them for seven days. So the robes, the holy attire, would be passed down. And then in verse 31, it says this, You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. This is uh, the sacred meal, I think. I think. No. Yes, you shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place, and Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They're going to eat it there in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. So part of the ram of ordination was to be taken and eaten by the priests in the door of the tabernacle. This is the covenant fellowship meal between these men, these priests who are now sanctified, holy before the Lord, set apart for this duty, and this covenant meal, this fellowship meal is going to show that they are clean, holy, righteous relationship with God. God, and they're able to share this fellowship meal with a holy God. He said, nobody else can do this but these guys, he says, because they are holy. Nobody can eat of these things because these things are holy. Only these people, these priests can do that. And it was necessary for the priests to perform their duties in the tabernacle to be holy. And just like these priests, we are invited to the table of the Lord. How? The Lord's Supper. We're brought to the fellowship meal of the Lord, the body of Christ with the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper points to another fellowship meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just like them, we are, we are in fellowship with God, invited to His table. So the need for holiness and cleanliness for God is so important, so central to their task, that this whole thing, everything we've read up until now, has to be repeated every single day for seven days. He said, verse 34, And if any of the flesh for the ordination or the bread remain till morning, then you should burn it for fire, and I'll be eaten because it's holy. Then in verse 35, Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I've commanded you through seven days shall you ordain them. Every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it and consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it and the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar shall become holy. So at this ceremony it was repeated over and over again. Why was it needed to be repeated for seven days? days for their ordination bunch of them. well it was a bunch of them but a lot of the ordination had to deal with Aaron Aaron got anointed over his head seven days seven times you got a simple answer, a simple answer? well it was the Lord's purpose for sure for sure yeah yeah that's true created heaven and earth seven days I don't have a perfect answer and I don't know it doesn't tell me so I don't know but what I thought of when I thought about this question was this. So like, if you went through this ceremony, what would stick in your mind? More, more than likely, just like Barbara said, be the gore and the blood and the, all of it. And tomorrow we're going to do it again. And tomorrow after that we're going to do it again. 
and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again. For me, and I don't know if this is, the Bible doesn't tell us, so this is a guess, this is speculation. For me, it would, be, it would remind me of the cost of my sin. And how important holiness is, yeah. The seriousness of their calling to ministry. Every day, we have to sacri- We have to slit the throat of a bull and two rams. We have to cut them up. We have to wash the pieces. We have to burn them on the altar. We have to take some outside the camp and burn it every day. We have to put blood on our ears and our thumbs. and our- We have to sprinkle our garments with blood every day. We have to sit into the, the tent of the tabernacle, the-, the opening to the tent of the tabernacle, and have this meal that's holy to the Lord every single day. And it also reminded them that their duties would never be finished. Yes? Could it also be obedience? Well, sure. Over and over and over again, it teaches you obedience to do what the Lord says. For sure. The same way every time. Yep. She said it would be uh, just an act of obedience. You've got to do it the same way every time. You've got to do it exactly like he says to do it. For sure. Yes? Really? And well, that makes sense. That makes sense. She said, everybody hear that? She, okay, good. Yeah, you have to be exposed seven times before you remember it. Um, and they would repeat this. Remember, this is at the end of this, at the end of this section, the end of this chapter, he's going to say, y'all going to do this every morning, every night. You're going to do it over and over and over again. Their job would never be finished, not until Christ came. So after the, after, the, after the ceremony's over, we're almost done. I'm going to just fly through these last few. Um, God describes to Moses, remember, this is not happening. This is God telling Moses what needs to happen. It's going to happen in Leviticus 8. Um, he tells Moses what the ongoing duty of the priests will be for the tabernacle for the nation of Israel. He says, now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at night. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of flour mingled with a fourth of hen, beaten oil, and the fourth of hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with a grain offering and a drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It's going to be a burnt offering. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak to you there. So morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, every day, every day, every day. Not to mention all the people that would be streaming in with their offerings that the priests would minister. So they'd bring their offering to the priest and the priest would prepare it and get it all and they, and they would do those things. All day, every day. All of these sacrifices, all of these offerings. Every day would begin and end the pleasing aroma to the Lord on behalf of the people. Uh, later instructions are going to be given about how the people are to bring sacrifice and all that. So year after year, day after day, month after month, sacrifice after sacrifice. And all of this elaborate ceremony, all of this blood, all of this gore, all of these animals, all of this stuff is because of that last sentence in verse 42. He says it's going to happen at the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you there. I will meet with you 
to speak to you there. And the last verse in this chapter says, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God." That is his purpose. The God of heaven was making his dwelling on earth with his people. God would meet with his people there at the tabernacle. God would reveal his glory and dwell with his people there. So before God descended to the tabernacle, uh, everything had to be made holy. He's not going to dwell among sin. He's not going to condone sin. He's not going to, he's not going to put up with sin at all. Verse 44 says, I will consecrate everything he says he made the priests holy he washed them dressed them anointed them sprinkled them with the consecrating blood he put a label on the priest's forehead holy to the lord and christ has done the same for his people he washed us he robed us he anointed us he sprinkled us with his blood and he did this so he could dwell with us the same reason that he would dwell with his people God has come down to dwell with his people, to live with us and in us forever so that we would know him as our God. He saved us from our sin through the death and resurrection of Christ, and he has made us now his dwelling. I have two verses to put on the screen that you can't see. The first is 1 Corinthians 3.16, and it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That verse in context is talking about the church not talking about an individual he's talking about the church in fact the local church the church at corinth but the other verse verse 1 corinthians 6 19 he says do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you in context of that passage he's talking about sexual immorality and joining yourself with a prostitute but he means the individual christian as an individual Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So God dwells within you. He dwells within his people as the church. And he dwells within the individual in the Holy Spirit. So God has made his dwelling with man. Jesus came, John chapter 1, and he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. That's the word. He tabernacled among us. And Jesus has ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now tabernacles within us. And God dwells with his people in holiness because Jesus has made us holy. Questions, comments? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that even in all the details and all the, the parts of the scripture where when we read them in our own time, in our own private time, God, they just seem, they seem out of touch with 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 our lives and how they apply and what we need to do and what you're trying to tell us. But God, when we see them through the lens of Jesus Christ and see them through the lens of who you are and what you have done for us and who we are in Christ, God, it, it, it just glorifies your name. It glorifies your name to know that the blood of atonement has been shed once and for all. The anointing has been given once for all in the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration has been given once for all. All of these things pointed toward what you planned to do in your people. And God, we thank you that we are recipients of that in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Lord, help us to walk in it. Help us to appreciate it. Help us to glory in it and to glorify your name through it. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.